Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back. Today I have for you a vulnerable and brave conversation. Sofia Aguirre, a Mexican living in the U.S., an internal student and the host of I Used to Drink and I Know Things podcast, shares with us her story growing up, her alcoholism journey, and her healing path after her dad passed and she had her daughter. I was honored to be a witness to her story Sharing our stories is a deep way of healing and breaking generational patterns so we can be better humans for our children. We can change the world one story at a time. Now, on to the episode. Hi, welcome, Sophia. I'm so happy to have you here. Efrat, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to introduce to you guys Sophia Aguirre. Am I saying this right? Yeah, Aguirre. But yeah, it's perfect. host of I Used to Drink and I Know Things podcast, which is coming soon and sounds so intriguing. Um, she's a Mexican and she she lives in the U.S. She grow, grew up between Mexico and the U.S. And uh, she loves teaching because she's she loves studying and she loves acquiring knowledge and passing it on. So today we're going to talk all about Breaking generational patterns. So I want you to start, Sophia, by telling us a little bit about your parenting journey. Well, my parenting journey began roughly six years ago <clears throat> when I found out I was pregnant. I I was told originally that I couldn't have children. So finding out that I was pregnant was a very big surprise. And from the moment my daughter was born, I made a, a decision that I would do the best job that I could with what I had. And what I had was a couple of decades of therapy under my belt. So I grew up in a very traditional Mexican household. My father was a very hardworking, very successful businessman. My mom was stay at home and she did a lot of philanthropic work and charities and all of this. I'm the eldest of four children. And somehow, even though I know that they did the best that they could with what they had, there were a lot of things that I know that I could have done without. And I struggled with many things growing up precisely because my parents didn't know that what they were doing were causing me harm. 
So when I had my daughter, I was 37 years old. So I was quite a bit older than my mother when she had us. She had four children by the time she was 30. So I'd been on a very long journey. I mean, the title of my podcast says it all. I used to drink. I no longer drink because I got in a lot of trouble with alcohol. And that is one of the patterns that I am so happy to be able to break for my daughter now. I had my fun. I made my mistakes. I got myself in some horrible situations. But at least I didn't do it with my daughter in the picture. And that is something that I that I feel a very strong commitment to is to not make the same mistakes as my parents did. Yeah. And starting at the point where I know that my parents did not do what they did on purpose. And that has been a very big part of my of forgiving them because they were wonderful when they were wonderful. And I love my parents deeply. I miss my father deeply who passed. But even though I know I'm going to make mistakes because in the end, I'm, I'm, I'm only human and quite an imperfect one at that. I don't want my daughter to go through what I went through. And all of that boils down to me being acutely aware of my weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses is alcohol, right? Because I know full well that not everybody struggles with it. I also know that one of my weaknesses is that I can be very impatient. So what do I do? I'm constantly checking myself so that I don't take things out on her. She's only five. And why would I take out my frustrations on her? So despite all these years of therapy and acquiring all these tools to help me do a better job and and to know myself better. I'm very proud to say that sometimes I handle things differently than my parents did. And I think that has been a, a blessing. Not because they did a bad job, obviously not. I'm here and I'm and I'm doing well. But some some things that I don't think I should have lived through. Hopefully I'll be able to avoid that for my own daughter. And I think that's the whole point, to do a little better than the come the, the ones who came before me. So what do you think that gave you that power to break the pattern that you were in 
I think it was fear. It was fear that I would do some type of damage to my daughter. I think it was some sort of fear that I would continue to damage myself and set a poor example for my daughter. And also fear of the dark path that I can go down when I'm drinking. I, I stopped drinking, obviously, throughout my pregnancy. And I became a moderate drinker after she was born. But when my father died, I started losing control very, very quickly. And since I was surrounded by people who could, in a pinch, take care of her, I felt that control slipping away and slipping away and slipping away until one day my mother sat me down and she said, you know what, you can't do this anymore. You can't do this to yourself, and you certainly cannot do it to your daughter. And something in me clicked. And I was able to see the past month and say, yes, I am grieving. Yes, I am emotionally in a very dark place. You shouldn't be drinking. Don't do it. Why? And and that's when I stopped. And it was. But I want to. I do want to make the comment that this wasn't a, a hallelujah miracle from the heavens. I've done a lot of work. Yeah. I when I say that I've been in in therapy for a couple of decades, I'm not even exaggerating. On and off, I've been in therapy since I was 16. I'm 42 now. So the, and I've been in all different types of therapy. So going through my own process has been a long time coming. Yeah. And recognizing those dark parts of me is a big part of my parenting journey Mm. because I remember feeling frightened when my father or my mother lost their patience with me. Even if I know that I did it on purpose, because there comes a moment in your life that you know, you know, you're pushing a button. And I would do that because, well, I don't know why, but I I did it to get a rise out of my parents. And right now, I, I take it upon myself to not, to not let go so freely of my negative emotions and to not lose my patience with my daughter, even though I do, because she's five and she also can push my buttons, but she's learning. Yeah. And for me, it's important 
that she knows that I can keep my cool because if I keep my cool, she's going to learn how to keep hers. Yeah. Or that's what I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking a lot, a lot of like thoughts are coming into my head. Um, and, you know, I, I read a lot of uh, Gabor Mate's work. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -mm. And he talks about how all addiction is related to trauma. And another thing that is that he says, like, is that trauma is is not having having the permission to be completely yourself, yeah, or not being loved for who you are, not being accepted for who who you are. Um, and I'm wondering if if that's uh, if that's something that resonates with you. And if it completely does. Mm, yeah. And how, how do you, I mean, understanding yourself more and going through all the work that you have gone through, how did, how does it affect your, the way that your parent, the way that you're parenting, um, the way that you're dealing with things differently with your daughter? I'm going to, I'm going to, give you specific examples because I think it's going to be easier. Yeah. First, starting with what you said about not the addiction being rooted in trauma <clears throat> in trauma and not being able to be yourself. The first time I heard the definition of addiction as being not having the ability to speak, adicto, no? I think it's Greek. I think dicto is speaking in Greek, not being able to speak. Oh. I used to love singing. I don't know if I was good or if I was bad, but I loved to sing. And in my family, everybody is a protagonist and everybody loves to sing and to act and to do all these things. And I remember that my parents also, always used to make me sing in front of people and my grandfather and everybody was, they loved it. And one day when I was around 13, 13 or 14, maybe younger. And we were in on a beach in, in Mexico and there was a trio in, in Mexico. There's like mariachi bands, but only three people. And in restaurants, they go around to all the tables and you ask for songs and sometimes you stand up and sing. It's, but it's very common. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I stood up and I sang. And when I sat down, I asked my dad, my, my father was in, in radio. And I asked him, Daddy, imagine if I became a singer. And he looked at me and he said, you're good, but you're not good enough. And he wasn't drunk. And this, these were happy times. We're sitting in a restaurant on a beach. And that stuck with me. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life and everything I did. Wow. And it was such a simple offhand comment 
And I hadn't thought of it until this moment. Oh, wow. So how do you think it affected you other than maybe singing less or being less confident about your singing? I'm a lot less confident about my singing. I mean, honestly, the only time you'll you'll hear me singing is if the music is too loud for you to hear me singing. I do it in the car when I'm stressed out and I'm alone. I have a couple of songs that I'll sing. And even while I'm singing, I'm checking myself and I'm like, you're not good enough. So that that you're not good enough comment that he made, it affected other areas other than singing for you? Yes. It, It really did. And I don't think we have the couple of weeks that it would take me <laughs> to explain. Yeah. But right now, when I said it, it just, that's something I have to work on because I hadn't thought about that comment in many years. But I don't want to get distracted. And so that's something that happened with my father. Yeah. Now, with my daughter, I try to be realistic because I don't want to be one of those mothers that tells her child that she can do no wrong because where's the discipline? Where Where are the limits, you know? But whenever I see that she's excited about something and she'll tell me, Mommy, I can't do this, I'm like, baby... Yes, you can. And practice makes perfect. Let's practice. Or she'll show me a picture. Let's remember, she's five. I don't have a Picasso on my hands. But she'll show me her unicorns and her cats and her Pikachus with such pride. And I celebrate each one of her drawings as if they were made by Michelangelo. (laughs) Because it gives me joy to see her do something that makes her so happy. Yeah. And in the end, it's a creative outlet. I I don't want to stifle that for her. Yeah. And you said, you said, uh, um, a minute ago about like where you put limits and where you put the boundaries. So how does that look for you? For me, it starts with, if I tell her to do something, she gets first warning. Baby, the uh, our bedtime routine. She tells Alexa to set a 10 minute timer And the moment that timer goes off, she has to give her iPad to her dad. We go to the bathroom, potty, brush our teeth, go give daddy a kiss, and then we go read our our bedtime story. Then we pray, we go to sleep. That's how it goes on a normal day. But when she's too tired or when she's not tired enough, it's a struggle. Mommy, please, 10 more minutes. Alexa, 10 more minutes. No. Okay, kiddo. We said, you know, 10 minutes. It's 8 o'clock. 
So I, I go a little bit in crescendo with my sternness and, but once she is teetering on getting out of control, it's, you know what? This isn't working kiddo. Give me your iPad. If she doesn't give it to me, I'll take it from her. Obviously give daddy a kiss potty, brush our teeth. And I physically will, will like shepherd her into her room. And instead of two bedtime stories, she gets one. That when she's being, when she's too riled up, I'll sit down and I'll be, what do you, and I'll ask her, what do you need to calm down? Mommy, help me calm down. And we do some breathing exercises. I can't take credit for that because she was in a wonderful preschool where they taught her how to control her breathing. Mm. But I have reinforced it and I sit down and I do her breathing exercises with her. Are you calm? No, mommy, I need more time. Perfect. You take all the time you need. As long as we're working toward the common goal, which is to calm down and relax. Yeah. So one thing that I find that I do different from my mother or my grandmother's or my, all of them, I am much more patient with her. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did a situation like that look like in your house growing up? Sophia, it's time to get ready for bed. No. Sophia, it's time to get ready for bed. No. By the third time, my mother or a nanny would make damn sure that I was in my bed or in my bathroom, or depending on what was happening. Sometimes I'd even get spanked. And just not helped to relax at all. Mm. When I was upset, I heard stop crying more times than I can possibly fathom in my adult life. Yeah. And I hate telling my daughter when she's upset to stop crying because I feel that it's telling her, you know what, what you're feeling, it isn't right and you shouldn't be expressing it. Yeah. And I know she hears this from other adults in her life. Mm. So I try to be a safe haven for her in that aspect when she's mad, when she's kicking walls, when, okay, don't kick the walls, please, because we're going to have to repaint. But if you're angry and you want to hit the bed and you want to hit the unicorn, go for it. I want her to know that she's allowed to feel the way she feels. That wasn't, if it was inconvenient, I wasn't allowed to feel or express my feelings when I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah, so you have a lot more tolerance. Oh yeah, um, for for her feeling feelings mm-hmm. that are not convenient all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And knowing that her feelings the same way my feelings they're not always going to be 
be convenient. I mean, and they can be very inconvenient. If she starts throwing a tantrum in the middle of Walmart in in December last December, I went with my boss. We went to buy some gifts for some children that were part of like the angel network. So we were buying Christmas presents. So I asked my boss if I could bring my daughter along because it was after work. So there we go. My four-year-old, my boss, who's a woman, and she has kids as well, and myself. And by the end, I know that my daughter, she's cranky, she's hungry, she's tired, it's cold, and we're almost done. And she starts having a full-blown meltdown in front of my boss (laughs) in the middle of Walmart, just laid on the floor just kicking and screaming because I wouldn't buy her I don't know a purse or whatever yeah and as I'm looking at her and I feel my boss's gaze and I'm like I can handle this one of three ways I can either Try to ignore her and be embarrassed. Number two, get down on the floor with her and try to calm her down. Or three, yank her up, tell her to absolutely stop it and just hurry out. And I thought, it can't matter that my boss is here, how I act with her. So I did. What I would have done if I was there alone, I got down on the floor and I tried to talk some sense into her, say, kiddo, I know you're upset. I know you're hungry and I know you're tired, but we have to go. And my boss, you know, she's tired and hungry too. What do you say we go? It took her a little while, but she calmed down. And off we went. Mm -hmm. And I was, yes, I was embarrassed. But also, I thought I have to give my daughter grace and I have to give myself grace. Because at 7 p.m. in the middle of winter and we're all hungry and we're all tired. Right. You brought up a really important uh, point here because... You know, parenting in a way that gives gives place to emotions. You know, it doesn't shut down emotions. It can be more than it's inconvenient for us. It can be very inconvenient to people around us and inconvenient to the society and to our parents or, or our coworkers or our friends who who think other, who think that um, parenting should be different, right? Mm-hmm. That parenting should be more strict or more controlling or, you know, not letting your kid express their feelings because then you're giving them permission to act the way they're, the way they do, you know, that type of thinking. And, and also, you know, the, the way that you talked about how you are raised and the difference between the, the way that your parents would, um, 
respond to a situation, you know, where you didn't want to go to bed and the way that you respond right now, much more mindfully and much more aware. That's also a pattern that exists in many, many, many families in our generation. And Mm -hmm. I wanted, I wanted to ask you if you can kind of maybe take us out to like a broader perspective and try to, and we can try to understand together why this shift is happening right now for us, why our parents parented the way that they did in the norms that they lived in, and what's changing right now in our society that allows us to parent differently. I think that in our generation or our children's generation, kids have never had this much power And what I mean by that is that for the first time, I think, at least in modern times, children are regarded as people and not just kids. I know in in our experience, um, when when we were growing up, we were meant to be seen and not heard. I mean, I'm 42. It's not like I'm 85. So very recently, children were meant to be seen and not heard. Almost as, as if we were accessories. Yeah. And And my brother and my sisters and I, we were like the Von Trapp children. Whenever my parents had a dinner party, we came down, we said hello to everyone. We kissed everyone on the cheek because we're from Mexico and everybody kisses all day. And then back to sleep, right? And this, I think that society and everywhere is changing because Children are being recognized as full people, not just the miniature version. And also what we were talking about earlier about this awareness and the parents' awareness of what happened to them. Mm. If they don't fix it, it's going to happen to their kids. And it's going to be their responsibility. And things are changing so much that people can't blame the way things have always been done anymore. Because the way things have always been done are obviously not working for a lot of people. And I think this, it it doesn't only affect children or how we educate them or how we raise them in in all parts of our lives and our existence people are realizing and are very aware of what works and what doesn't work if i grew up having a horrible drinking problem i know that it was because of trauma because of anxiety 
the amount of anxiety that I have struggled with my whole life. It's incredible. And when I think back to when I started with those problems, I think that if the people around me, because this isn't just my parents, it takes a village to raise a child because everybody is involved. And if my anxiety had been addressed in a more holistic way when I was younger, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been on all the clonazepams and, and on all the antidepressants and everything that I took throughout my whole life, thinking that it was just a chemistry problem in my brain. But that's because that's the way my parents thought. Yeah. Because I know that everything my parents did, they did it with great love. But what happens when your child is sick, you take them to the doctor. The doctor tells you what to do, what the child has to take, and that's it. Yeah. And today... I realize that if my daughter starts displaying signs of anxiety, I hope to God that I'm able to give her the support that she needs and not just try to quiet everything with medicine because everything becomes automatic. Oh, you feel bad? Take a pill. Yeah. You know, it's... It's learning how to respond and teaching your body that you're not in mortal peril all of the time. And I do want to make a, a, a note that I'm not against medication. I am currently on antidepressants that I know save my life, but now I'm on one. I'm weaning off one to start another. There was a time in my life when I was on seven. Wow. Because I was in the hands of, of an incredibly, he was a very irresponsible psychiatrist who had me as a guinea pig and had me even on lithium, taking those seven, that cocktail of seven medicines and I still kept drinking and everybody thought it was perfect. Yeah. I think, you know, the, um, the points that the points that you are talking about are, you know, the, I, I see a connection between everything. I see a connection between, you know, our previous generations were very more, were very much looking to authority to find their answers yeah. versus our generation right now. And this is a work in pro progress because many, still many people, even our age, you know, I, probably majority of people our age are still looking up to the authority to get their answers versus mm -hmm. searching for what their inner voice is and for, for, for what their um, intuition says. 
And this ties into everything. This ties into the way that the way the way that we parent. Mm-hmm. And this ties in the way that we look at how to solve problems and it ties into the way that that we educate our kids. So Peter Gray in his wonderful uh, book, which is called Free to Learn, he gives this really interesting um, a historical review of how mm-hmm. the education system became how, the way that it is right now. And mm-hmm. he talks a lot also about why parenting is the way that it's main mostly is in the mainstream which is very authoritative or authoritarian even and um he says that when we were uh, hunter gatherers uh, which was 99% of our time he- here on earth children were looked as kids uh, sorry children were looked as people not as kids children got respect and they they got a lot of uh, credit for finding their own creativity of mm-hmm. finding their own of of learning the skills of society without being taught of learning the the skills of society the skills that they need just naturally by being part of that group i, I it's not a tribe i don't remember the name that it, that they were called but it's kind of like that small group but of it's almost like a pack like kind of like a pack maybe that was the name actually maybe it was like a like a human pack mm-hmm. um and then when uh, agriculture came um and and people started to cultivate land and people started to stay in the same place and um what they needed from kids is to work the land so the kids couldn't couldn't play anymore that much and they just just needed to be disciplined and they needed to work and from that the whole way of thinking of kids need to be uh disciplined and kids need to listen to authority that all started and then he goes on to talk about you know the industrial revolution and how that affected and um and so on and so on and and it's rooted in our society, this way of thinking, thousands of years back. And it makes perfect sense. Right. It makes because perfect, perfect sense. The child needs to learn a specific skill set yeah. to be able to cultivate the land and to be able to learn their times tables in maths so it what you're saying makes perfect sense because when you're not living off the land what you hunt and what you gather you don't need to be creative you need to be obedient yeah exactly because in order to hunt you have to be creative yeah you have to work in a team you mm-hmm. have to be, you know, you, you have to be an indi- individual, but also know how to work in a team and you know, know how to, um, how to cooperate with other people. And it's just incredible that, you know, since thousands of years back, we've been trained to think differently and trained to, to think that kids have one role growing up and that's to work in a certain thing. And 
in the past when it was agriculture, they needed to work the land. But today, the way of thinking is, you know, there is one path to success and that's, you know, have to, you have to go to school, you have to do well in school, you have to get into a good college or a good university, and then you have to get a new, a good job and then you're going to be successful. And this pattern of thinking is changing right now because, you mm-hmm. know, all these technological changes that are happening are making us understand that this path isn't, isn't relevant anymore yeah. to a lot of people. And there is there are so many other ways to succeed. And I think that always ties that also ties up to the way that we parent because we understand that we don't have the answers anymore. Like we don't know. It's not I'm not the authority. I'm not the authority for my kids. The doctor is not the authority for me. The teacher is not the authority for me because that world is shifting so much that we don't know how things are going to be 10 years from now. Yeah let alone 20 years from now, you know, when our kids, when our kids enter the workforce and what kind of jobs they're going to have. So we're, we're stepping into this unknown reality, which is a, which is a big shift because for, I mean, when you think about it, every generation was kind of stepping into the unknown, at least in the last hundred years, you know, because if we think about our grandparents, they survived you know, wars and horrors, and they didn't have safety in in a, in a land or in a state. Um, and our parents did have some kind of safety already, but the mm-hmm. state was everything. You know, the the authority was everything, and you you need you needed to do what the authority is telling you because they know best. Yeah. And now we're shifting to a completely different time where the big authorities are getting very being very challenged Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're asking questions about everything we're asking questions about medicine we're asking questions about education and we're asking questions about ourselves and about parenting and i think that that brings so if you don't have an authority if you don't have someone outside of yourself to to help you answer your questions then where do you look? You can look only inside. Yeah. And I think that a, a very big change that is already happening with us, with our generation, is that we're starting to trust our intuition again. Yes. That little voice inside our heads and our hearts saying, but really? Is is this the right way? Let's yeah. think about this. Yeah. That is that's very important because I know for myself that there were several times that I could have avoided bad situations if I had trusted my intuition and not done what I was told to or what I was expected to do yeah and I think that if we understand that we have intuition then we also understand that our kids have intuition Mm -hmm. and if our intuition is important and we need to listen to it then we understand that our kids intuition is also important and we need to listen to it and I think this ties back to your point about 
kids looking at kids as people mm-hmm. as 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 souls exactly like we are they're exactly. just in in a, in a smaller package but they're exactly like we are and all you know the work that we are doing on ourselves today it's always you know looking back to your childhood and thinking oh. about your <laughs> when, when you're a child and healing your inner inner child mm-hmm. just empowers the way that we are treating kids today as yeah. as people as souls as as equal to us as exactly as equals yeah and a lot of people don't agree and they don't like it yeah because it's uh it's harder mm-hmm. it's it's harder to parent this way because the the results the results that you see are not immediate you're not gonna get um um a child who is just gonna do whatever you say all the time you're not gonna get an obedient child you're gonna get a child that lets her voice out or and question why do you want me to do this yeah what is the best for me yeah immediate right right yeah so it it so it 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 makes us we not we need to be able to communicate Mm -hmm. what it is that we need what it is that we feel what it is that we want and help them teach them how to communicate what it is that they need and what it is that they feel and what it is that they want and what works for both of us for Mm -hmm. the parent and the child together and i think that's a huge huge shift that's happening in parenting and it's also it's it's evident in research also so it's funny because a lot of times you know um what we know already about how the human brain develops and what in what we know about human behavior in uh, fields such as psychology or uh, brain science um or attachment science or even you know just education and play science is much more advanced than what we see in the surface in 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 real life so we're shifting towards you know what we know already scientifically that is true but it's uh, but it takes time for society to catch up with that exactly because it's not the way things have always been done yeah breaking patterns is hard it's like trying to break in new shoes. Yeah. But in the end, I'm sure that it will be worth it. If my daughter grows up knowing that she matters because of because she is, not of who she is or what her name is or her last name is, because she exists, there's there is value in that there is value in her the sky is the limit yes exactly and you know what you're what you're talking about is um creating a secure attachment for them mm-hmm. so creating a, a secure attachment what it means is it means that we give them that security that they can they are accepted and they are loved and they are heard exactly the way that they are 
um, and that they always have a safe base. They always have a secure place to come back to. Yeah. And um, one of the one of the ways to break those that gen- those generational patterns is by um, by by telling our story, by making sense of what happened to us. Mm-hmm. So when we make sense of what happened to us, we we start to to break to break that pattern. We we start to understand ourselves better, and we are able to give our kids not not to act automatically, but um, but to act, act mindfully and act out of choice rather than you know just uh, need a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, and I think that's so important because what you were saying about this, these different styles and ways of parenting, the secure attachment, the knowing that your mother or your parents are there for you unconditionally, no matter what happens or what you do or what you say is it's fundamental also in their mental health. Yeah. Because even if you know there's going to be a consequence, because not everything can be explained away, but when you, even if you know there's going to be a consequence that you do not like, but you still know in your core how loved you are, there is no danger. Yeah. And that, feeling that, it just, I feel, and I know that studies have been done on this, that since cortisol is not constantly flooding the brain, there is a certain, even learning is easier. Of course, because yeah. you have all this, all this noise in your head about what's going to happen. What if I get spanked? What if I get locked in my room? What if everything is taken away? No, because at least me, I'll yell at my daughter. Today I yelled at her twice because I've been feeling awful and she just wasn't listening. But at least I see that if I do raise my voice, she's not scared of me. She's just, she understands that if I raise my voice, it's because something important is happening. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, we can, we can give consequences mm-hmm. um, lovingly. Mm-hmm. And, and the way, the way that I mean is that even if we do set a boundary and we need to set boundaries, we cannot just let our kids do whatever because that's that's not making them feel safe. They need no. to know that they're held. They need to want to know that there is an adult that's taking care of them and, and that's keeping them inside of some kind of framework. And, exactly. And that this framework is a, the safe place for them to be. So boundaries mm-hmm. actually make our kids feel safe. Um, but 
boundaries because we're putting boundaries it doesn't mean that we they need to feel that we don't love them at the same time so practically how this looks like like you said like the example that you gave in Walmart you know mm-hmm. you are setting a boundary okay i mean you're you're not just going to let her scream on the floor but at the same time you're seeing her you're acknowledging what's going on for her mm-hmm. and you're taking her away from the situation or for example you know when she, if she doesn't want to come to to bedtime yeah you're setting a boundary now you have to turn off your ipad okay you're taking the ipad and then you are going with her to her room that's a much different experience than if you yelled her, yelled at her go to your room right now right yeah. and just send her by your by herself and then she feels then she feels unloved and then she feels that something is wrong with her so for kids whenever there is a disconnection in the in the connection in the relationship then they feel unloved and when they feel unloved they they don't feel safe yeah. um so there i mean of course we can't always act perfectly we're not going to be perfect parents and even if we yell and if and if we do mistake and mistakes and we do yell and we we will make mistakes it's so important to remember that we can always 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 repair we can always go to our kids and tell them i'm sorry that i yelled before um mommy was having a hard time it has nothing to do with you i'm i'm in charge of my feelings you are not in charge of my feelings and i always love you and if we do that repair then they know that conflict is okay conflict is safe it's not always easy to be in a relationship but we can always get back to connection no matter yeah. what we're always getting back to connection and you're right this gives this this gives our nervous system a safe of safety a sense of safety mm-hmm. which is everything it's it's a self esteem it's security it's resilience it's um it's better learning it's um it's better social interactions it's better everything it's better it's better relationships in the future so yeah. our home is is kind of like the kind of like the experiment or the lab yeah. for for what's going going to be their reality when they go up, out to the real world afterwards we are yeah. teaching them how relationships um should be we are they yeah exactly and what kind of relationship they should be looking for in their lives yeah we're doing a good job at front <laughs> hopefully <laughs> trying our best we're trying we're- our best with the things that we know right now yeah. now we know much more than our parents did and i'm sure that our kids will know much more than we do right mm-hmm. now um yeah but thank you so much sofia um for this conversation joy a joy talking to you thank you thank you and um where can i our audience uh, find your podcast that is coming up well for now you can find me on instagram where i'll be posting all the updates um where i sometimes i have lives i'm posting constantly and that would be at i used to drink and i know things all one word no dashes no nothing and 
Thank you so much for having me, Efrat. This has been this has been amazing. And I learned I learned a lot and I learned about myself. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sophia. And I'll make sure to link the uh, your Instagram account so everybody can uh, find you and follow you. Thank you so much, Efrat. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. What a conversation. Here are the main takeaways. Number one, our kids motivate us not to make the same mistakes our parents made. Being acutely aware of our weaknesses and recognizing our dark sides is the way to better ourselves for our kids and ourselves. Number two, the way that we can teach our kids to keep their cool is by learning to keep ourselves cool. Helping our kids calm down is essential because the only way the young nervous system can calm down is by co-regulating with another caring figure. Number three, our kids' feelings can be very inconvenient and we can be influenced by people around us when dealing with our kids' emotions. But if we remember that the best thing for them is giving them grace and helping them process their emotions, we will teach them to become more resilient adults. Number four, In our generation, as opposed to our parents' generation, kids are being seen as equal human beings and as deserving of trust, kindness, and grace. What has always been done isn't working for many people. People are realizing what works and what doesn't work for them. Number four, our previous generations looked at authority to get answers versus searching for their own intuition. By changing the mindset from outside authority to inner guidance, we change the way we parent. In our ever-changing world, we cannot be sure that as parents we have all the answers. Number six, if our kids grow up knowing that they matter just for being, there is a value in them, then the sky is the limit. Number seven, one of the most powerful ways to break our generational patterns is telling our story. Your story matters. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.